0: That's true. It comes from our discretion about what we fund, but it also comes from doing a lot of work, depending on how much the client wants or needs, on the front end so that they have the best chance of success. Because we've seen good ones, we've seen bad ones, and we think we're pretty good about, you know, offering some concrete suggestions for better outcomes.
1: Hi, this is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan. Have you got something interesting or know somebody that I should interview? Shoot me an email, john at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Or it could be that you know, you've got a question about... Pretty much anything uh, related to indoor cycling or even tangentially related to fitness. Yeah, shoot me a note. Does it make sense for a new studio to consider leasing their indoor cycles and or other uh, fitness-related equipment? Or are you better off going to a bank? Or I guess the, the dream most of us would have is that you have some rich uncle that you could— <laughs> get your money from. But if that doesn't exist, or if that person doesn't exist, you know, you're going to probably be looking between bank financing and potentially leasing. And I had a bunch of questions on it because I have people coming to me and asking questions. And so what I've done is I've recruited a gentleman that I met at the Idea Fitness Conference. His name is Joe Schmitz, and he's joining me now. Joe's with Fit Leasing. So welcome, Joe.
0: Hi, John. Nice to talk to you today.
1: Nice talking to you through the wonders of Skype. You sound like you're right next door to me. Where are you located?
0: I'm in Orange County, California, about four miles south of Disneyland.
1: Ah, the place we all would like to go and live. You bet. Exactly. Okay, and and do I understand that you are the principal uh, owner of Fit Leasing?
0: Uh, That's correct. The company's been around since 1983. I uh, joined the company in 1990. uh, And when the owner passed away, I, I bought it from his family in 99. So I've owned it since 1999.
1: Got it. And the leasing industry is a good industry to be in?
0: Yeah, we've loved it. I I have an opportunity to work with all kinds of businesses around the country. Uh, Fitness is the majority of the types of businesses that we work with. So I work with all types of uh, fitness-related facilities uh, throughout the U.S., and it's fun and interesting and a puzzle, and I like that.
1: You're working with businesses you know on on both ends, large big box type organizations to small little boutiques. Oh,
0: that's a good question. Mostly I work with smaller clubs. We will work with uh, mom and pop uh, startups, independents, uh, corporate fitness centers, and what's called the vertical markets, which might be apartment complexes, commercial fitness centers. I don't normally get into the large chains, but typically everything below
1: that we work with. Okay, is there a minimum? Size that you're going to work with?
0: Um, no, we'll do. Uh, we look at transactions in terms of the dollar amount of the equipment that they need to acquire. So generally, it will be transactions uh, from a low end of about ten thousand up to two hundred and fifty. It could be more, but mostly are under two hundred and fifty thousand, ten to two fifty.
1: Could you just give a kind of a initial understanding of you know what what is leasing? How is it different from a bank financing?
0: Sure. To be technical, and I'm what's called a CLP, a Certified Lease Professional, of which there's about uh, 200 of us in the U.S. It's a fairly specific group of people that have that designation. Uh, And and a CLP will tell you that a lease is a rental contract. The customer or the lessee wants to acquire equipment but don't necessarily want to buy it up front. And so you'll lease it, you'll rent it. Over a period of time, three, four, five years generally. And then at that end of the lease, you'll have an option or a variety of options. One option could be a dollar buyout, where at the end of the lease, you buy the equipment. Another option could be some kind of fixed or estimated buyout, typically 10 to 15 percent of the original cost. Or there are some leases out there called operating leases, where at the end of the lease, you give the equipment back and then you get all new equipment or make some other arrangement.
1: How does somebody decide, you know, just from that – based on those three categories, how does does somebody decide?
0: So the way a person decides will – a variety of factors will come into play, and it varies if you're a startup business versus if you're an existing business. If you're a well-established existing business and and it's not a matter of cash, meaning you're going to buy a set of equipment uh, and you could either write a check and that's relatively painless or you can do some kind of a lease for it, chances are you're going to make your decision based on tax considerations – um, or cash flow considerations, meaning should I spend this $20,000 or $30,000 to replace my uh, uh, suite of bikes that I have in my studio, or should I use that money for marketing purposes to bring in new clients? It's going to be a tax or a cash flow. If you're a startup, it's almost always going to be a, uh, a cash-in-hand consideration, meaning should I spend this $20,000 of mine or someone else's money to buy this equipment or should I lease it and reserve that money because I don't know what's going to happen in the future because I have a new venture and cash is king.
1: Yes it is. Now contrast that to a bank financing then. How how would that be different? You know you'd finance whatever, you know, right. a fixed amount and over a specific term but the difference there is you you own it from start to finish.
0: Correct. So there's, there's many ways that uh, bank financing and leasing are similar. So with um, bank financing, again, if, if, it, if it's an existing business, they're going to look at some different things from a credit's perspective. They, they may ask for more information. They may require you to uh, have an account at their bank. Um, so the credit process is a little different. Leasing will be a little bit easier. The differences will be in terms of pricing. Banks are always done on an interest rate, so they'll give you a rate. When you do a lease, much like a lease on your building or a lease on your car, there's not an interest rate. There's a cost of leasing, but the two are apples and oranges. When you're when you're a startup business, the differences become fairly extensive. Banks don't want to do startup financing, uh, even SBA-backed lenders today versus say five years ago or six years ago are very reluctant to do startup financing. And normally, if it's a startup that's doing a bank financing, the bank's going to require additional collateral. You're going to have to pledge the equity in your house. You're going to have to pledge some stocks or give them a certificate of deposit that they hold that you can't withdraw on. So in terms of how the credit process works, the two become quite different on startups.
1: So am I hearing you say that it just might be easier to lease?
0: It's almost always easier to lease because it's an equipment focus uh, that comes into play versus a bank financing and it's strictly a credit and financial statement focus and banks tend to think like banks. So it's going to be
1: easier to lease. <laughs> right, okay. It's true. <laughs> I think you just said it all right there. Right. Banks think like banks. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Okay, so so the ease of getting your financing is is one motivating factor. right? Uh, Talk to me a little bit about the the tax implications.
0: So every business is different, John, uh, when you look at tax implications. And that's a whole uh, subject unto itself. And I normally tell people it's worthwhile to talk to an accountant, even though I often find accountants also miss some of the nuances on it. When you're doing a lease that's what's considered a fair market lease, or a true lease, or an operating lease, what you have an opportunity to do is deduct the entire amount of the payment in the it, when you make the payment. So if you had a monthly payment of $1,000 a month, I'll just take that as an example, uh, over 12 months you would spend $12,000 for your lease payment, and that's how much you get to write off, and that's when you expense it. So, assuming you're at a thirty percent tax bracket, you're gonna t- you're gonna be able to save that amount of money on your taxes. Uh, if you depreciate it, uh, if you if you pay cash or if you do a financing a, a loan, <clears throat> and you end up depreciating the equipment. It falls under some sophisticated accounting rules called makers, MACRS and what that does is it determines how long equipment can depre- be depreciated and that's based on how the IRS has evaluated life of equipment kind of a complicated answer if it's a computer the depreciation's in 3 years but if it's in fitness, the depreciation is in seven years. So if you had a, a equipment that you paid $10,000, you would have to depreciate that out over a seven-year period of time versus if you did a three-year lease, you can you can deduct it all in three years versus seven years. So you accelerate your tax benefits.
1: To make sure that I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is that if it, if I had a $10,000 lease that I paid over three years, I could deduct the entire amount uh, as an expense on my t- taxes, offset right. income that. That's right. But if I paid cash, or if I finance it through a bank, I get to take one seventh of that ten thousand. Forgive me, I can't do the math that quick in my head. Right. Uh, but one seventh each year. So you could take three sevenths as far as depreciation over those first three years. Right. Got it.
0: So And that can be significant. You can, you can um, triple the amount of deductions you get on your equipment if you're doing an equipment lease um, versus if you're doing some kind of loan, bank finance, or pay cash.
1: You know, Joe, we've talked about reasons why you may want to lease your equipment. Are there reasons why you may not want to lease equipment?
0: Well, you had a great example in the beginning of a rich uncle, uh, so that's a good one. <laughs> um, when we, <laughs>
1: yeah, but they're few and far between. <laughs>
0: they are few and far between. Um, when when we do startups, uh, and and so the rules are a little different, or the reasons are a little different, for if you're startups versus if you're not. Eighty percent of all businesses lease, um, so there's value in that. And I'll say lease or finance uh, similarly. In that reserving cash if you're a startup is critical. If 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 mom is willing to give you money and she's going to give you money cheap or say you don't have to pay it back, you have flexible payment terms, um, th- those are all reasons to not lease.
1: Essentially meaning you have the money.
0: If you have the money, even though, quite frankly… In in my opinion, even if you have the money, there's tax benefits in doing it on a lease versus not – as well as uh, startups are always iffy. You just don't know what's going to come down the pike. And we always tell people that plan on it taking you twice as long and costing you twice as much to open as you ever possibly imagined. And if you're prepared for that, you'll be close. So if you've reserved $50,000 to open your studio and you figure it's going to cost you $25,000 for your build-out and 25000 in your equipment, but what if your build-out costs you forty? Then you're upside down. So I'll almost always recommend, whether they work with me or someone else, that they fund their equipment over a period of time. Three years on startups is typical. For the same reason you wouldn't pay your employees three years in advance, why you should do that when you buy your equipment when you pay cash?
1: If you can avoid it. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Right. Yeah. And and, you know, I've talked to a lot of studios that well, just small businesses in general is they run out of cash before they generate enough Uh, repeat customers is typically why many of them fail.
0: Yeah, it's a huge issue.
1: Right. And it's so difficult to project those things. People ask all the time, you know, on my Facebook group and they're emailing me, well, how how long do you think until I'm making some money? And and, and I I know studios that are, you know, right out the gate crushing it and others that two years in, three years in, they're still complaining about never being able to pay themselves.
0: I would rather see, from our experience, I would rather see someone... Lease or finance, in either case their their equipment and and take that cash and put it into marketing, put it into things that you know put put butts in the saddles, if you'll excuse me, uh, let's have let's have new customers coming in, and that's what you want to use your cash to generate, uh, and then have your equipment as a, as a monthly expense, and if you do it as a lease, it's a fixed monthly cost, so you know what it's going to be every month, and take any excess cash you have and use that to generate new customers.
1: And I put up a post with this and, and got some responses from people, and so I'm just going to ask the questions that I had on it. I've hit on a couple of them already. Uh, many of the manufacturers offer leasing options. Is there a, a good way to decide, do I lease from a independent like you or I work with the manufacturer directly? How How do you sort through that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So there are some wonderful programs out there. And I always encourage uh, every business owner that they ought to look at the different programs and see what's in their best interest for their studios. Um, We think one of the advantages that we bring to the table is uh, I had a background in fitness before we started leasing, uh, and we've been doing this now for I think we're in our 25th year. So we do have a pretty good understanding about what the client's needs are. And we have the ability to bundle products, so you can get products from a variety of manufacturers, and add your non-fitness products in when you do it. Um, but talk to the manufacturers and see what programs that they have to offer, what pricing they have to offer, uh, and and then make a decision as to what's in the best interest of of you, the client.
1: So shop you versus them, sure, essentially. Okay, all right. Well, you and and you mentioned this, and this was my next question: is beyond you know, a room full of indoor cycles, what else can be added to the lease?
0: That will depend on the customer, their financial condition, credit, all of those things that go into a credit decision. When we do uh, studios like this, we'll almost always do the equipment, the the bikes. We'll often do uh, the computers and management system. We will often do whatever furniture. If you have a sales office or, or a front desk, that's often a part of that. Uh, we regularly do uh, audiovisual, uh, AV systems, televisions. Uh, we'll occasionally do flooring. We'll sometimes do lockers. And on a rare occasion, we'll do signage. So it depends on what, what the customer wants to do.
1: That's a lot.
0: Yeah, it could be everything.
1: That's that's very interesting. You know, and a lot of these studios are buying a relatively expensive form of technology mm-hmm. you know, They're using these display systems, performance IQ, SPV. And then, you know, that typically requires um, a somewhat expensive website in order to make sure everything works. Are those are those things that could be leased as well? Or, or wrapped up in this lease?
0: We can wrap it. Typically, the way that works is a, a leasing is for a hardware. So uh, bikes are obviously hardware. Televisions are hardware. Computers are hardware. Software generally is not. If it's bundled as part of a package, particularly if the hardware and software, um, so for example, if they're getting website development um, and that's part of their computer purchase, that's normally easy. If we pay one check to the computer vendor, it gets a little more complicated. If it's vendor simply, if it's checks to a software provider, but it's probably worth talking about on a case-by-case case basis.
1: Exactly. And it's always just like you see in the car ads is depending on qualification. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about that because I'm guessing people listening to this right. saying, get to the part where do I qualify or not? Right. <laughs> so, so, so what is the – maybe you could kind of describe a, a, a typical scenario. And and explain, you know, what you're looking for uh, when you're going through the approval process.
0: Right. So when we're, John, when we're doing startups, uh, what we're normally looking for is three things. We're looking for individuals who have experience in the fitness business. We like them to know what it is that they're getting into. Um, there are some exceptions to that. Uh, based on how strong they are financially and the size of the transaction. So, if we're talking about a typical studio, maybe they're getting 20 or 25 or 30,000 in in bikes. Maybe they're adding some other products. So, let's say it's 50,000 as an example. 25 to 50,000 is typically the dollar size we see for startup spinning studios. Although, if they're doing other things, it's a spinning and Pilates or something like that, the amount could go higher. So we're looking at do they have experience in the fitness business, and if they don't, are they connected with someone who does? We want to know that they understand what it is that they're getting into and they're clear about that. So experience – We're going to look at credit. Do they have good personal credit? I don't have a hard and fast rule for it. It's not you know, an automatic approval if someone has over a 700 FICO or an automatic decline if they have below that. But we're going to look at the story, and we want to show that they have a history of paying their bills well. And then we look for reasonable financial strength, and that is can we show that they have – Uh, enough money to comfortably get this studio open, is that very clear? And do they have enough money to run it and pay for their business and personal bills while they're getting the studio going?
1: If I was going to start a studio and I came to you with a business plan that was wildly aggressive, um, you, you would see that right away and tell me.
0: I would see that right away, and I would tell you. And I, and I do that a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> when someone sends, brings me a business plan, and it says, I, I'm going to make a, a million dollars my first year in business, and I have a small studio. And I had someone do that once. I'm going to say, we have to revise these numbers. You live in a county that has 3,000 people. That's not going to happen. Uh, or conversely, if someone brings me a studio and it says, I'm going to lose $100,000 my first year in business, and I'm going to say, I think you need to go go back and and think about what kind of business you're really opening because we need to be able to show to make our underwriters comfortable that this is a viable operation. So we'll look at both of those.
1: Because the, small businesses fail.
0: Small businesses fail, absolutely. E- even though I have to say from our experience and we do a lot of front end work with our clients, we talk about their business plan. And for studios, a th- uh, of thirty or $50,000 studio. It doesn't have to be huge. It just needs to be specific so we know they understand what they're doing. Um, but with someone like that, we're going to do a lot of front-end work. And our experience on 25 years is we've had a less than a 2% failure ratio during the time of their lease and uh, a charge-off ratio, meaning a loss of less than 1% of assets.
1: When you say that, though, I'm going to guess that that comes from your discretion as to what gets funded and what does not.
0: That's true. It comes from our discretion about what we fund. But it also comes from doing a lot of work, depending on how much the client wants or needs, on the front end so that they have the best chance of success. Because we've seen good ones, we've seen bad ones, and we think we're pretty good about you know offering some concrete suggestions for better outcomes.
1: So you take somewhat of a consultant role. Absolutely, as part of the lease, because obviously you know you want the business, obviously, but you also don't don't want it back. The bike's back eighteen months after you they start.
0: I tell my clients every time I I say I say, "Look, this is just the beginning. We get to live together for the next thirty-six months, and we want this to be good for you and good for us."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, and on the off chance that things go terribly wrong, you know, you know what happens.
0: That's probably the most important and most delicate part of of my business and what I do. When we fund someone... customer gets open. They've gone through all the work to get open. And I say, so look, we did this because we believe in you and you're going to be successful. But sometimes life throws us a curve. And what's important is that we stay in touch. If things don't go well, then let's talk about how that works uh, and be in touch with each other. And so our preference is to work with a client to find solutions. One solution may be to to work around and help them restructure their bills so they can stay in business. But if for some reason it's not viable, they're not going to make it something strange and unusual happen. Let's find a solution. Best solution is can we find someone that wants to take over that business or take over that lease? Or together, can we find someone to buy out that lease so the customer can walk away and not have any additional losses? That's what we always look to do. And that's what I think separates us from any other kind of lease or funding organization out there, we're so focused on fitness, this is how we do to help our banks as well as help our clients.
1: <clears throat> so I'm hearing you say, I start my studio, it fails horribly, and and you and I have a conversation and you say something like, well, John, I have SuperCycle opening, you know, the state next to you, and maybe they could take over the lease on your indoor cycles. Is that that's kind of what you're describing?
0: Absolutely. We've done that, you know, a dozen times or more. Or often, John, you will say, uh, I'm not going to make it or I had this, you know, uh, unexpected thing occur in my life. But, you know, one of my trainers might be interested in taking over this facility. Uh, and could you see if we could get them to qualify and have them step in uh, and take it over? So we've done that as well.
1: So all right so you're just not going to sink with the ship you know there are you're going to work with us to find a solution that doesn't ruin everybody's credit and keeps everything rolling.
0: That's that's always what we try to do. We can't guarantee what's going to happen, but we've had great success in finding solutions that work. But it works if the customer stays in touch with us, which is tough when, you know, when things are going south, everything goes south, and the last thing you want to do is call your lease company and say I can't make the payment. But having those kind of difficult conversations are how you end up with good solutions versus the bad solutions which is when all the attorneys are involved.
1: <laughs> right. And no, you don't want the attorneys involved.
0: No, because they win. Everybody else loses, but they win. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Yes. Yeah. And and, you're, and I can hear what you're saying, but yes, open communication, not only with you at that point, but with your building owner, you know, everybody else that you're um, committed to financially. Right. Okay. So I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you know, I should, I should consider this. What lead time is involved between me deciding, okay, I want to, I want to lease my indoor cycles, and actually getting a check to buy them?
0: Well, it's always fun when I get a call from someone saying, uh, "I'm getting ready to open," and and that's one of my questions is, "When are you looking to open?" And they go, "Well, tomorrow," <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I go, "Well, we're a little late, but let's see what we can do." Um, <clears throat> So one of the things that I think that small business owners – and I had a small studio. I kind of fell into it by accident. Um, But sometimes they rush. They have a great idea or they've been a trainer uh, or an instructor at someone else's studio and it's not a great experience. So they go, I I just need to open and I need to open now. In my opinion, it's better to take a step back, take a breath – and, and really start asking lots of hard questions about what kind of studio, where do you want it, how, what fees you're going to charge, and all of those things that will come into play and take some time. I would recommend that someone Start twelve months out before they open a studio to start really going through these things so they've thought it through and then their outcomes are better. From a credit perspective, we I would normally recommend that if someone's thinking about opening a studio, they should look at their credit six months before. That way they'll have a chance to see if there's something on there that they don't know. Uh, I saw a study that said fifty-two percent of all credit reports have errors on them. And it gives you a chance to fix those issues that have happens on your credit. So when you're ready to open, you've you've improved your results, which makes it easier to get funding and may help your pricing be better.
1: If it's a hurry up deal, what's about the shortest period of time that somebody could reasonably expect to to get funded?
0: Uh, I'm going to say 30 to 45 days simply because on the credit side, it's for us, it doesn't take long. So someone calls me and says, I'd look to, I'd like to get funding. And I'm going to say on a startup, we're going to ask you for a business plan, a personal financial statement and your last year's tax return. They get that to me. I look it over. I come back with some questions. uh, Same day, next day, I get it into underwriting and we have an answer in 48 to 72 hours typically. Now, if I have questions and we don't have reasonable answers for them, like someone has a on their a financial statement, they say I have $100,000 in the bank or $50,000 in the bank uh, and their tax return doesn't show that they have any money. Then those are things that we have to address or there are credit issues and they have to deal with that. That stretches out the process. But from our perspective, we can get a credit answer certainly within a week. If they know what equipment they want to buy, then we can drop documents and have them signed. And it's just a matter of how quickly they can get the documents back to us. It's a normal of two or three days. And then we'll send a purchase order to whoever their equipment provider is, whatever manufacturer or dealer they're getting their product from. But then the dealer has to order or the manufacturer has to build that equipment. So you're going to have on the equipment – depending on what it is uh, as little as a 3 week lead time up to 6 to 8 weeks so that's the long thing as long uh, in addition is the build out on their space how long that takes but from a credit perspective it's normally a couple of days to a week and a half
1: you know timing to the startup on these especially the northern parts of the united states is that you know ultimately you want to open in september Right, you know, you, uh, and because you don't want to go through the summer up here, we like to be outside. Absolutely, and, and so so you really got to kind of kind of back up from there and saying, well, if I want to open in September, then around the first of the year, I should be getting prepared. Does that sound about right? Yeah, uh, with my credit, and then come April is when you're communicating with you. Does that sound about right?
0: I always like it when someone talks to me – well, I I like it if someone's done their groundwork. They've looked at their credit, say, around April. If they're really looking to open in September, they don't necessarily have needed to talk to me at that point, uh, even though I'm more than happy to offer some guidance, which is have you thought about X, Y, and Z, specifically looked at your credit and really written up your personal financial statement, listing of your assets – liabilities and net worth, and start to have a pretty good idea about where your sources of funding is coming from, and then laying in place acquiring that. So if you're looking at that beginning in April, um, you're probably going to be in good shape come September.
1: Got it. And if you're scrambling right now to find a pencil to write all this down, Uh, Joe's got some documentation that we're going to provide for you. And just to make it easy, if you go to indoorcycleinstructor.com forward slash leasing, it'll give you the option. You can just put in a little contact information and then all that will be delivered to you. What have we not covered, Joe?
0: Well, some standard questions. The number one question I get from people is what's the rate? Uh, what's ah, the interest rate? <clears throat> I hear that all the time. It's a wonderful question. Uh, and and my answer always is, well, it depends, <laughs> which is frustrating for the customer. So interest rate is a funny game uh, that uh, banks, lenders, lease companies, finance companies use, this is my personal opinion, to disguise how much it costs. Um, when my wife and I bought our house some years ago, we got a low interest rate. But because it was a 30-year mortgage, the cost of the interest was more than two times the cost of the house. But what the bank said is, well, we have this low interest rate. We actually refinanced our house about five years after we bought it. And when we did, I looked at the total amount of interest paid versus the total principal, and I had paid 95% interest over that five years and 5% principal. So even though my interest rate was low, my interest cost was really high, and then I started a whole new loan because we refinanced. So here's the way you figure out rate and cost. In the case of a lease, and I recommend you do this with your loans as well, take the amount of the monthly payment, multiply it by the total number of months. So if it's $1,000 a month times 36 months, it's $36,000. Subtract the cost of equipment. Maybe that equipment cost is $30,000. And then your cost for leasing is $6,000 over three years which is about $2,000 a year, and that's how much it costs you. Do that with your loans as well or other kind of financing, and that tells you the amount of costs you have, the checks that you're actually writing, and that's really the best way to evaluate costs, both for leases and loans. And I would get away from an interest rate comparison just because I don't know that that actually tells you all the facts you need to know.
1: But that's the thing that everybody thinks they understand. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so 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 as soon as you're getting into the leasing world I'm hearing that, that you may have to readjust kind of how you per, you perceive things
0: yes, it's apples or oranges. how you compare
1: things right. that's
0: true, and, and but I would also do that with any loans you look at as well. same thing with credit card debt. People say, well i I got a credit card and I got a a, a i don't have to pay for six months, but the reality is is the cost of that card is not it's not going to be when it rises to its normal rate, which is maybe sixteen or eighteen or nineteen percent. Because they compound that daily, every day they take a little bit of interest, and then they add that to your principal. So the real rate is way higher than the 16 or 18% that they've quoted, depending on how quickly you pay it down. And most people never pay it down as quickly as they think they're going to.
1: Got it. And so I keep saying it this way, but so I'm hearing you tell me that that from a point of comparison, you should just look at what the cost is.
0: How much is going to cost you over right. the term of the entire transaction? That's the best way to evaluate leasing and financing options.
1: You know The other question, and, and, uh, if you're listening to this, forgive me, it's going long, but I'm guessing that you're probably appreciating all this information Joe's providing. What happens at the end of the lease? You, know, you told me that there are some options, but what typically happens?
0: So if you do a lease that's a dollar buyout, at the end of the lease, you get a letter from your uh, lease company that says, uh, Thank you for your payments. We would love to continue to have you as a customer. for for more projects, and you're done. If you do a lease, it has some kind of residual. Um, You'll want to take a look at your lease documents. It does become important. Uh, There's often some kind of disclosure that says you have to notify them about what you want to do. There are good lease companies and bad lease companies. The bad lease companies will use the clauses in that to say, oh, you owe us more money, keep making payments. Um, So, It's important to know that when it says you need to send in a a certified letter that says you're going to exercise your option to buy your lease to buy the equipment – you should send that in in the time frame specified, 90 days or 120 days. Good lease companies just notify you and say, there's a 10% residual on this lease. It was 30000 in equipment. You need to send us another $3,000. Or if you want to make some payments arrangements, we can work that out. Um, so you'll want to be in touch with what your options are at the end based on how you set up the lease in the beginning.
1: Gotcha. Do you get a lot of people that look at that as an opportunity to upgrade?
0: We do. When we do startups, we like to do three-year leases, uh, and that's a good opportunity – Uh, for a for a studio owner to make progress with new members because at the end of three years uh, hopefully the the bikes are in great condition uh, and you have an opportunity to to trade in and get a good trade-in value from a dealer or the manufacturer either the one you bought it from or a new one if you decided you want to change manufacturers or product but what it does for you the studio owner it's a great sales opportunity to then market to both your existing members as well as your former members as well as potential new members. We're doing a major upgrade, a major renovation. Come see our new equipment. We've certainly seen studio owners who've added 50% to their revenue based on upgrading their product if they marketed it correctly.
1: Yes, and I agree completely because we're selling a product, which is this class experience. You know, over three years, if you have a busy studio and a lot of classes, you know, the wear and tear and things just, you know, you might you might get used to looking at them, but your customers seeing the pedals rusty, right, and it's squeaking a little more than normal, or you know, because those things kind of just come on incrementally. Yeah, there's just nothing better to to motivate your customers of saying, "We've got everything brand new. We're taking excellent care of you." It's kind of like my wife says that you know, John, I'd I, I prefer you get a really nice car for me to drive in rather than a real old car.
0: <laughs> you know, there's nothing like that new car smell. I was just thinking that. And and your clients get excited. They will refer more members to you, uh, based on, you know, the new product that you brought in and you could write a check for that new product or you could lease it, uh, and then take the funds that you would have used and use that to send out, you know, 5,000 mailers to your local community about, you know, grand reopening or new refurbishment, uh, and, and how many new clients would that bring in?
1: Exactly. And technology changes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, you know, just over the last three years, you know, the, you know this whole advent of indoor cycles with power that weren't really even much of an option, right? Uh, three years ago, and who knows what's going to be out three years from now? So it's very exciting. Oh, it's it's, it's this whole industry is exciting. All right, well, Joe Schmitz. I certainly appreciate all of your information, and as I mentioned earlier, if you're listening to this and you know you'd like to have some of that documentation as far as understanding, you know, the component parts of your business plan that Joe's going to look at when you're just trying to get approval. indoorcycleinstructor.com dot com forward slash leasing, and there'll be a link to this as far as uh, with the podcast when this goes up, and. Um, yeah, I uh, I appreciate your time, Joe. Thank you.
0: Thanks, John. I've had a great time speaking with you today. It's been wonderful.